podcast. I'm your host, Dom Mana. Happy Solo Shot Saturday, everybody. We have a fun show here for you. It is my 2023 winter free agent predictions. But before we get into the players, there has been a little bit of manager's roulette here in Major League Baseball over the last week or so since the season ended. Yes, we know about Terry Francona and Dusty Baker, two Hall of Fame managers retiring. However, there's been a lot more movement than that. Uh, teams that have given up on their managers, Buck Showalter given up on by the new Mets regime, as well as seeing Bob Melvin leave San Diego and go over to the Giants. There's been some movement happening. And we now have another guy moving around. Ron Washington has taken the Angels job and will be there in whatever the Angels decide to put on the field this year. Back in the AL West after the Rangers win the World Series, a lot of people said that Ron Washington was a big part of the reason that they were able to build a championship culture over there, uh, not expect to be losers. And now he gets a chance to manage again. I know the Braves will miss him. He was one of the best assistant coaches across the league, respect by every player under him. And now a team that's losing Shohei Otani has a lot of free agents. He's going to hopefully right the ship and get them on the page that they need to be, at least bring some culture and stability to an organization that is currently in flux. But the managerial move that everybody's talking about is Craig Council, who in 15 years as a major league player made $22 million. He was sniped by the Cubs. And because he did not go through a formal request for interview process that the league mandates, the Cubs had to pay him a mighty deal. And he signed up for five years $40 million, $8 million a year to manage the Cubs, which are a team that just missed the playoffs last year, a team that Council knows very well, being in his own division. And I think that's a huge move that shows that the Cubs, despite what David Ross was able to build there, a guy that was on their team that broke their World Series drought, they're trying to level up. And I think that the rumors of them being a dark horse team for Shohei Otani, if everybody's calling them a dark horse, they're not a dark horse. They're actually in the race. And I think that they're an interesting option for him. Um, I know that when they signed Suzuki a few years ago, that there's some people pointing towards that being an opportunity for them to be in the Shohei race. I know Seiya Suzuki has not been the star that Cubs fans were hoping for but absolutely an option for Shohei to go to, especially if they're willing to sign him a big check and allow him to pitch and hit, which is what he really wants to do. But when you look across baseball, Terry Francona has been replaced by Steven Vogt, who was a really good backup catcher uh, for many teams, including the A's, a guy who just loves baseball and talked about it after he retired at the end of last season that he'd like to manage in the future and i think he's a perfect matchup for a small market team with cleveland i think that having a player's point of view in the dugout is usually a good thing and i always like to see 
a guy who wasn't necessarily a star player, but someone that was respected and revered in the clubhouse getting into coaching. They usually end up being damn good managers. You look at Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy, guys like Tony LaRussa were not star players. Bobby Cox, et cetera. Joe Torre won an MVP. He was pushing towards the exemption. Um, but even in today's game, Alex Cora, former player, not star. Craig Council, former player, not a star. Skip Schumacher did a fantastic job down in Miami this season. I hope he wins manager of the year, not a star player. So I think Stephen Vogt is cut from that kind of cloth. I think he can have a lot of success in Cleveland, and I'm interested to see after an offseason where Cleveland actually spent a little bit of money, not just retaining Jose Ramirez, but bringing in guys like Josh Bell. What they do this offseason is going to be paramount. Are they going to tank 2024 away and say 2025 is their year, or are they going to get back at it in this division that I think is pretty wide open as good as the Twins were last year? Lots to break down. And talking about a team that doesn't seem like they want to compete, the New York Mets, I told you, Buck Showalter, two years removed from a 100-win season. He's out as manager. And they bring in Carlos Mendoza, who longtime coach for the Yankees, most recently serving as their bench coach. He gets the job, his first managerial job in the majors. Congratulations to Carlos Mendoza. But it is a sign that what Max Scherzer put out in the athletic about Mets brass telling him that 2024 was not going to be the Mets year and that they were going to try to compete in 2025 and or 2026. Carlos Mendoza seems to be that kind of guy, someone that knows how to manage in New York, someone that has dealt with the media as well as the players handling the New York spotlight well or badly. I think he's an okay hire. And it's going to be interesting what they do, but Buck Showalter getting absolutely flamed out of there. Everyone's up in arms about David Ross. To me, the Buck Showalter firing was worse. Uh, and it's it's something where you look across the league, the Milwaukee Brewers still need to fill their managerial spot. The San Diego Padres still need to fill their managerial spot with their managers leaving them this offseason. And then there's the Houston Astros, which to me is the most appealing job there is. This is a team that is a built top to bottom with winners, young and old, controllable pieces, good pitching. And they're a team that has been in the ALCS the last six years. This is a team where I think a Buck Showalter would be very intrigued and hopefully taking phone calls to come over there. There's been thoughts that Dusty Baker might want to promote from within and have an upstart manager who's been around this core for a while take over. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see what the Astros do. Uh, nothing against the Padres or Brewers. They're teams that could be in the playoff mix next year with some moves in the free agency as well as a good manager at the helm. But I think you're seeing this push for managers. And if it's not the guy that you believe in moving on because of Bruce Bochy. I'm not saying that everybody can call a Hall of Fame manager and get him off his couch out of retirement and get him to come manage your team and win a World Series, but seeing teams being willing to do that and how managers can be the missing pieces a lot of the time, I'm really thinking that's why the manager turnover has been what it is this offseason, not just from the basic retirements and 
underperforming coaches that got fired or underperforming coaches that actually kept their jobs. Uh, it's all about how do you think this guy is unlocking your players and do you believe in him going forward? Now, this is where the fun begins as we get down to first base. Where are these pitchers going to go? I think that the pitching landscape in baseball has changed with the pitch clock and pitchers are viewed in a whole different light. You're not expecting every pitcher to be a 200 plus inning workhorse that gives you seven every night. You're just hoping for efficiency the first two times through the lineup and hoping to play a bullpen game a lot of the time after that. So when you look at the pitchers that are available, there's a lot of interesting arms. Uh, Blake Snell is the number one name, though. He's about to win his second Cy Young, uh, join a very elite list of players to win the Cy Young in both leagues, and he's going to get paid. This is a guy that hasn't thrown 200 innings in a single season, uh, but he is super efficient at getting through the batters and preserving his arm. So Blake Snell, to me, is going to be the number one pitcher on the market. And when you look at teams that are in need of pitching, almost every team is, every year a team that I think would be willing to spend on a Blake Snell, a multiple time Cy Young winner that showed he can pitch in the NL West. I think the Padres are going to get sniped by the San Francisco giants. This is a team that has done the same thing. A California team taking away their former Cy Young arm, Barry Zito to the giants. I think that, the Giants have swung and missed at top free agents the last handful of years. And part of the problem is they would go straight to the top. They would go to Aaron Judge. They would go to Bryce Harper. And they would hope that they can get those guys. I think this offseason is going to be different. I think that even though they're going to try to be in on Shohei, that their priority is going to be on that next tier of guys. And I think that signing Blake Snell will be amazing for that Giants pitching staff. I think when you're a team that is built around kind of hitting for average in that ballpark that is not super home run friendly, uh, and you have a guy like Logan Webb, and you can have a one-two punch of Snell and Webb, I think that's very eerily similar to what we saw this postseason with Gallon and Merrill with Ivaldi and Montgomery. You just need two guys at the top of that rotation once you get into the postseason bracket to really make a run to go along with your offense. And it doesn't hurt that Snell's manager, Bob Melvin, moved over to the Giants uh, from the Padres. I think that he's going to do a great job recruiting Snell over there. And I haven't heard that fit talked about very much. Uh, I think Snell is going to get the bag and um, a guy that might not be remembered as one of the great pitchers, but for this era, winning two Cy Youngs and being as efficient as he is, uh, I'm always going to respect and love watching the Snellzilla on the mound. But after Snell, the big free agent is not an MLE pitcher. And when you look at the Japanese players that have come over over the last handful of years um, it's really fun to look at these names of guys that 
some have had really great success and others have not done much as of late. Uh, but you look at Hunjin Ru, who's on the free agent market this year, a guy who got Cy Young votes multiple times, but coming off Tommy John, pitched all right. Now you look at guys like Kenta Maeda that came over, and obviously Shohei Otani, who's on the market as well. These are three Japanese pitchers that have came over and had different levels of success. But if you notice, they all signed with West Coast teams. So I know as a Boston Red Sox fan, I would absolutely love to get Yamamoto. He's only 5'10", but he's 25 years old. And not only has he shown overseas that he is a true ace, but in the World Baseball Classic against Major League hitters, he was cruising. And the Oryx Buffaloes were super awesome because of him. I mean, he has won both Pacific League MVP and the Saramora Award, which is Japan's version of the Cy Young. In the past two years, he's won a triple crown for pitching. He is an elite pitcher. He doesn't have the biggest frame, so longevity might be a concern for some people, but he's going to get a big contract because he's 25, and we've seen the success of all these Japanese players coming over. The ones that are at the top of the game usually end up being amazing major leaguers all the way back to Ichiro. I know that my Boston Red Sox have been big on Yamamoto. They signed Yoshida last offseason, and they definitely have a history of being able to recruit and get Japanese stars, Daisuke Matsuzaka, Hideki Okajima, as some names as well. But Yamamoto, I don't think, is coming to Boston. I think when you look at the teams that are on that West Coast that are so appealing to a guy like Yamamoto, the Angels aren't going to be in play. The A's aren't going to be in play. The Giants, I'm telling you, they're getting Snell. So that leaves the Dodgers and the Seattle Mariners. Now, I think the Dodgers are the most obvious Shohei Otani destination. I think it just makes way too much sense. But if you look at it, the Dodgers' weakness this year was pitching. And they can fill that DH spot with J.D. Martinez bringing back a Justin Turner. And it won't be Shohei Otani in the box. But I think Yamamoto is going to be a huge target for the Dodgers. But this is where it gets interesting. The Seattle Mariners, they lost Robbie Ray last season. And while they're paying Castillo a lot of money, there's been a lot of talk that Kirby and Gilbert are on the trade block. And I think that if they can trade one of those two guys, get some offensive players, both prospects or major leaguers, and they can add Yamamoto to that rotation, I think that's something the Mariners have shown. They're willing to spend. They gave Julio Rodriguez that huge deal. They have great ties to the Japanese market. And I think they're not realistically in the Shohei market. I give them a swinger's chance, but 
I think they're way more likely to get Yamamoto. So I actually have Yamamoto going to Seattle. I think that they're going to roll out the Brinks truck for him. And I think that the fit just makes a lot of sense. Putting him in a rotation where he doesn't have to be the guy, but he definitely still can be. And putting him in a division where the team in front of you just won the World Series. The other team lost their Hall of Fame manager, but they've been in six straight ALCSs. The Mariners, if they want to be perennial playoff team, they need that studly rotation. Castillo, Yamamoto, and your pick of Kirby, Gilbert, and whenever Robbie Ray gets back. They've shown that they're willing to spend with the Ray contract, with the Castillo contract. I think they get Yamamoto signed. But after those two guys, there's a little bit of a fall off. There are some guys that are going to earn a lot of interest like Aaron Nola and Jordan Montgomery, who both had amazing postseasons and have shown to be quality workhorse pitchers that give you six, seven innings. I think Aaron Nola is a much more like grounded prediction for the Boston Red Sox to sign. I think that you look at Craig Breslow coming over from the National League with the Cubs, to be the president of baseball operations. He's a pitcher's guy. The Red Sox number one need this offseason is pitching with defense probably coming before offense as well. And Aaron Nola is a legit top of the rotation starter. And I think if you bring in Aaron Nola, who is has a lot of miles on the arm, but a guy that will give you quality innings has pitched in October, that's the kind of signing the Red Sox need to make. And I'm not saying Nola's enough on his own, but I think Nola will be the big fish in terms of starting pitchers that they get just through contracts. They can still make a trade. There are some interesting arms that are on the market, including the Brew Crews. But to me, Aaron Nola is the guy that Boston's going to end up getting, not Yamamoto. And then you look at Jordan Montgomery, a guy who had a fantastic run with the Texas Rangers. was money since the Yankees traded him to St. Louis. He's going to get a nice little contract. He earned himself multi-millions by pitching well in the playoffs on the way to a World Series title for Texas. And while I don't think Texas is going to spend the money to retain him, I do think if you look across the American League at a team that very much values quality starting pitching and showed last year that they're willing to spend. Zach Eflin was signed by the Rays last year and the Rays rotation as good as it was had a ton of Tommy John surgeries. You don't know how those guys are going to come back. I think signing Jordan Montgomery to a three or four year deal is in the range of outcomes for the Tampa Bay Rays. Now I know when you took it, look at a top five starting pitcher on the market nobody's going to predict the Rays to sign him. But I think if an American League team is going to get him, it's going to be the Rays. When I look across to the National League, the team that just screams out to me is the Cubs. I think that adding him to a rotation with Justin Steele would make a lot of sense. And they've shown that they're going to spend a lot of money just on what they're willing to pay a manager. So those are my AL and NL outcomes for Jordan Montgomery. I think he is the most flexible guy because it's not going to take as much capital to get him as it is going to get Anola or 
a Yamamoto or a Snell especially. So those are where I think the top four pitchers are going. Just running through some other names that are going to be available. Hunjin Ryu, Kenta Maeda, I already mentioned them. Arms that were formerly Dodgers, and I think either one of them could go back to possibly help bolster that rotation. Jack Flaherty is available after being okay since he joined the Baltimore Orioles. James Paxton, Luis Severino, Zach Greinke, I'm hoping he goes back to Kansas City and gets his 3,000 strikeout. Eduardo Rodriguez is a really interesting name because he opted out of his deal with Detroit. And I think if you're looking at a team that's willing to spend money, at a team that tried to trade for him at the trade deadline, Eduardo Rodriguez as a Los Angeles Dodger, I think is as good as done. I think they're going to be aggressive to go get him. They saw him in 2018 in the World Series. They've seen what he can do both on the big stage and just pitching every fifth day. He's a really good pitcher. I think Eduardo Rodriguez and the Dodgers makes too much sense. There's even relievers that are out there. Liam Hendricks, Aroldis Chapman, Craig Kimbrell, some really good names there. Starting pitchers that are a little under the radar. Sonny Grace coming off a really amazing year. Michael Lorenzen coming off a no-hitter and an all-star appearance in 2023. He's going to get a job in a rotation. Marcus Stroman, I think, is very likely to return to the Cubs, but he's definitely going to test the market. Michael Waka, Sean Manaya, Luis Urias. There's some guys out there. But the bullpen arm that everyone's talking about is Josh Hader. He showed that he doesn't pitch more than three inning, more than three outs. He doesn't come in and pitch after pitching back-to-back days. I don't know if he's going to get the money that he hopes for on the open market. But I do think if you're looking at teams that would love to overpay a star reliever, the Philadelphia Phillies are on the top of that list. And he already has the hair to match a lot of the guys in that locker room. And I think if anybody's going to give Hader a big multi-year contract, it's probably Philadelphia. Now, switching over to the hitters, this is a much weaker class. I think the pitching class, both free agent and who's possibly available in trade, is the best it's been in years. And next year is going to be also very good. But outside of Otani, the hitter market is a little weak. The Blue Jays have Merrifield and Matt Chapman out there. I think Matt Chapman is going to be a Chicago Cub. They made that trade for Jamer Candelario at the break. And I think that when you're in a division where Arenado is a great two-way player, Cabrian Hayes is a great two-way player, you add Matt Chapman in that mix. If you're the Cubs, a guy who can hit for power, great defender, and a guy who, with Dansby Swanson, Next to him, there's not going to be a lot of balls that get past those guys. And that defense is going to help them uh, as they continue to build from the ground up. Whit Merrifield's a really fun offensive weapon. I think that the Blue Jays should try to re-get him. But if they're not able to re-sign Merrifield, you look across the league, speed is becoming a very valuable piece to the puzzle. And a team that has almost no speed that would be great to have speed up the middle. I think Whit Merrifield is going to be the next Atlanta Brave. And the reason I say this is because 
you have Ronald Acuna stealing a ton of bases, but then after that, there's not a ton of stolen bases going on. And Ozzy Albies is there at second base. I get it, but they have some free agents in the outfield as well. Whit Merrifield's a very flexible player. And I think Whit Merrifield's going to fit really well in that Braves offense. If you put Acuna and Merrifield at the top of the lineup with the run production that they have, I think that the Braves are going to try to level up and adding the speed of a Whit Merrifield, a guy that can play in the outfield, can give you some infield at bats to give Ozzy Albies the day off here and there as well. A guy who's dealt with injuries. Um, I think that Whit Merrifield to a team like the Braves, a real contender that could use more speed. Um, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me, but you go down Adam Duvall and Justin Turner of my Boston Red Sox are two of the best right-handed bats on the market after talking about guys like that. And I think Justin Turner is only going to ring chase. I'm not saying that he won't end up back with Boston if he thinks they have a chance to win. But I think the reason he opted out is because he had a great season and he feels like he can give something to a World Series contender. The Diamondbacks have a lot of interest in him to be the Evan Longoria replacement. But when I really look at a contender that needs his kind of defensive flexibility and a guy that is a good right-handed bat, I just can't unsee Justin Turner being on the Texas Rangers. I think that he would be perfect. I think that that orange beard, uh, the red beard with the Rangers uniforms, I just keep seeing it in my head. And I think Justin Turner is going to end up there. Um, Adam Duvall, guy that I think could end up back in Boston. I really hope they re-sign him if they don't have a plan in the outfield to get like a Juan Soto through trade. But if you look through the rest of the bats, Jorge Soler and Reese Hoskins have a lot of pop. Cody Bellinger is probably the biggest hitter name on the market, but Cody Bellinger hit 190 two years ago. I wouldn't touch Cody Bellinger with a 10-foot pole. If he's willing to take like a two-year deal, maybe if I need a left-handed bat that can play first base or in the outfield. But Cody Bellinger scares me. I think he is the biggest trap uh, in this free agent class. And I could totally see a team going out there and giving him a five-year big money deal. It's just Cody Bellinger is the most hot and cold player of a disgeneration. And when you look at where he could end up, I think that teams that would have been in on him a couple years ago already have those guys. So it'll be interesting to see if a team like the St. Louis Cardinals goes after him to kind of break up the bats of Goldschmidt and Arenado with a left-handed guy that can spell Goldschmidt at first base and be their number one outfielder that they've been missing for so long. Uh, but I think it's going to be a team like that, uh, just kind of like when he signed with the Cubs this offseason, where it was like, that's an interesting fit for him. I think that that's where you're going to be looking for Cody Bellinger to actually get a contract from. Uh, but he's very, very scary. Uh, there's tons of older guys that are on the market. We hope that Brandon Crawford continues to be a lifetime giant. Uh, but Evan Longoria is out there, Joey Votto, and Tommy Pham, who to me is arguably the best right-handed bat on the market he would have been the World Series MVP if the Snakes were able to win. He was hitting over 400 and 
just an absolute team player. Uh, he's an assassin, though, so I have a feeling that he's going to sign a one- or two-year deal uh, with a team. But I-, I talked about it. The Dodgers are able to get so much from these kind of guys. David Peralta, Kike Hernandez, and Jason Hayward are all free agents. I'm sure they would be willing to pay a few more million to replace one of those guys with a Tommy Pham if they can. So it'll be interesting to see where Tommy Pham goes. I think he is a name to watch for sure uh, in a weaker hitters market. But the real question that everyone wants answered is where is Shohei Otani going? And I left him in the hitters part because he won't be pitching next year. Uh, Shohei Otani is one of the best DHs in baseball. He's got 40 home run power. He can run the bases as good as anybody. But who's going to sign this contract? Uh, Almost everybody is calling this the riskiest contract in the history of North American sports because you've seen what he can do, but you have not seen is what can't he do post this injury? He's had Tommy John before. And I think regardless of how his pitching career goes the rest of the way, you're going to want that bat in your lineup for the next five years. But a team's going to have to sign a four to $500 million contract over eight to 10 years, probably to get him in the door. And that's where the list of teams goes really down. Now the Cubs have come forth as a really strong contender to get him. I know I've mentioned the Mariners and Giants also in the mix, but I think this list is really starting to shrink. And I'm not saying that there aren't teams that could use him. I'm not saying there aren't teams that are going to have him in, do a whole meeting, try to get him. But Shohei Otani, Dodgers make so much sense. That's why they opened up the cap spaces to make a run at him. And I don't see why he would want to move off the West Coast. But if a team's going to get him from the Dodgers, it's going to be a team that's willing to overpay Craig Council $40 million over five years to come manage him. So the Cubs, they're that dark horse. But I'm staying on it. The Dodgers are the team for Shohei Otani. I think they'll be in on some other guys. I think Eduardo Rodriguez makes a lot of sense. I think getting another interesting outfielder like an Adam Duvall or Tommy Pham can make a lot of sense, but the Dodgers need pitching. And if they sign a good pitcher like Eduardo Rodriguez and they get Shohei Otani, that means in 2025, when Clayton Kershaw is possibly retiring, they have a rotation of Bobby Miller, ex-free agent, and Shohei Otani. And I think that's kind of what they want to build because Clayton Kershaw is playing year to year, and I don't think he has more than two years left in him. I think next year could be Clayton Kershaw's farewell. Here in the Solo Shot Sports Podcast, we like to throw it back down the third base line to this day in sports history when something awesome happens, uh, whether it's historically significant or I just think it's a really cool tidbit. And this day had a ton of awesome moments. November 11th, 11-11, it's a lucky day. And I think when you look at just the history of baseball, there's a lot of teams that have awards or firings or hirings. But on this day in 1998, the Chicago White Sox made arguably their best trade in franchise history when they traded outfielder Mike Cameron 
to the Cincinnati Reds for prospect Paul Canerco. And Paul Canerco, to me, shouldn't have been one and done on the Hall of Fame ballot. I'm not saying Paul Canerco should be a Hall of Famer, but I don't think people realize how good Paul Canerco was. Uh, A guy who wore that Chicago White Sox uniform for the majority of his career, six-time All-Star, helped them break their World Series drought in 2005 where he was the ALCS MVP, 2,300 career hits, 439 homers, a career 279 hitter, over 1,100 runs scored, 1,400 runs driven in his career. And what I love about Paul Canerco is he walked 921 times. For a guy that was a 400 home run hitter in a league where you strike out a lot, walking that many times in an 18-year career, I think that's a pretty nice number. So how good was Paul Canerco? Well, OPS Plus is league-adjusted for what the average hitter is able to do. And not only did Paul Canerco have a 13-year stretch where he was an above-average hitter, where he was a 160 hitter one of those years, OPS+, plus, but he had a career 118 OPS+, plus and over 4,000 total bases. This is a guy that played every day, got hits, played a good defensive first base, and was an above-average hitter for a long time uh, in Chicago. The Windy City loves him, and we talk about the Cubs a lot on this episode for them stealing Craig Council away for what free agents and trades are they going to do to kind of leapfrog off of this move. But that team on the South side, don't forget about them. They have a very rich history in baseball and Paul Canerco, one of their franchise cornerstones was made a white sock on this date in 1998. I appreciate each and every one of you for spending your Saturday or part of your week with me. Uh, Hugo and everyone that joined in the chat, I appreciate you, especially the home plate here, though, is learning from the new format. I talked about it a little bit, but the new playoff format with the new rules, the pitch clock, the bigger bases, the no shift. How are teams going to learn from the first full season of the new format? I think you're seeing the managers being prioritized a lot more because of it. You can outmanage a guy in a three-game set, in a five-game set. And you just have to make the playoffs. I think we saw it at the trade deadline. It was a more boring trade deadline. Less teams sold than we would have hoped. These teams are going to show you this offseason what the new age of Major League Baseball really looks like. And I'm excited to see how these teams build. I'm excited to see the trades that are on the table. Guys like Juan Soto possibly being available again is outrageous. Uh, so there's a lot to watch this offseason. And I'll try to be here every single week giving you all the updates and all my opinions along the way. For more baseball content, I'll be live reacting to the bigger signings and trades on the app formerly known as Twitter at DominicMana44. And I look forward to, in this next month and throughout the offseason, bringing you guys more and more stuff that I've been planning on. It's going to be a fun time, and I can't wait to transition into the offseason, keeping you updated on all the moves, and getting you primed and ready for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. 
I hope you guys all have an amazing solo shot Saturday and a fantastic rest of your week. I'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.